Well, thank you, Sherry. Appreciate that song this morning, A Mother's Prayer. And uh, today, being Mother's Day, we're going to be looking at a particular text of Scripture that may seem uh, like not so much a Mother's Day text, but maybe something that you would say, well, what is the significance of this particular text of Scripture, especially in light of Mother's Day? And uh, as you think about Mother's Day, again, we understand that many of you are going to have a different opinion about Mother's Day. Some of you, this is a, a great day, warm and fuzzy all of the joy, all of the uh, gratitude, all of the, the best thoughts you could ever imagine. And for others of you, there are difficult emotions about today. And yet, so within that, so maybe you are a mother that is listening to this. And you need some sense of encouragement. You need some sense of, of help, some sense of... Uh, Something to to get you through the next few moments during our Sunday school time this morning. I interviewed Sherry on what it is to be a mom. That's something I don't know anything about. I'm not one, but uh, being able to just kind of ask questions and being able to say, "Take us through and help us understand." For us as men, we have no clue about being a mother. We have a mother, or we had someone who gave birth to us, obviously, but we don't know the challenges, the difficulties, the heartaches, the, the different things that moms go through. Women are generally more emotional than men, and so sometimes there's things that women are experiencing that men have no idea about. And you may be going through that today as you find yourself in whatever position or whatever state of being a mom you find yourself. So today we trust that we can provide encouragement to you from God's Word, to be able to help you, to be able to give you something that says, you know what, my identity is in Jesus Christ. It is not in my children. And my identity and my sufficiency has to come from Him and not from them. And we want you to be able to be encouraged this morning as we examine this particular text. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 16, verse 13, and we're going to be doing a lot of background leading up to that particular verse uh, before we get to that particular verse. And so uh, we want to open a little word first, and then we'll look at and examine uh, this particular topic of a mother with no name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For today, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to be here today, to be able to proclaim your word, to be able to uh, share truths of your word with each other and specifically with those who are moms. Father, as we mentioned before, one of the greatest influencers in this world are mothers. Many of them laboring tirelessly without a whole lot of recognition, without a whole lot of praise, without a whole lot of breaks, if you will, in life. Day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, engaging faithfully with their children, as a wife, whatever role they may have. So Father, I pray that you would encourage those who maybe today find themselves discouraged or find themselves worn out or find themselves emotionally drained with 
no one to really turn to. Father, may you help us today to be encouraged through your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Salary.com every year produces what they estimate to be the worth of a mom, specifically a stay-at-home mom, but any kind of mom. Maybe she's working outside the house and she's trying to keep up the home. They every year tally up the different roles, different functions of being a mom, and they estimate what it would cost for you to go out and replace her. And so for the year of 2020, they have updated their particular stats on this, and they estimate that a mother is worth $178,201. That if you were to replace the mother in your home, if you were to replace the woman who is faithfully uh, cooking meals, faithfully driving people around, faithfully being the accountant, faithfully doing all these different things, if you were to replace that person, you would have to pay $178,201. Now, for those of you that may not always appreciate the mother that you have at home, maybe you are a child, Maybe you are thinking about your mom and you're thinking about the fact that she has rules for you. She makes you she makes you obey, she makes you do all these things, she makes you clean your room, she makes you do all these different things that you may not like. Just know that to replace that woman would cost somebody in your household $178,201. Which makes you think about the fact of whether or not it's really worth replacing her. <laughs> Because sometimes we don't think about how valuable she is until she's gone, until that person is no longer there to do the bills or to clean the house or to cook dinner or to do whatever it is that moms do. And by the way, for sake of confession and for sake of the fact that this will probably be one of the last Mother's Day messages I get to preach, I need to apologize to my mother who, as I grew up, I often told her when she told me to do something I didn't want to do, especially inside the house, Mom, I don't have to do it because that's woman's work. And I have now understood the error of my ways. And I want to make confession to all that I was maybe, perhaps, wrong for saying that those things were all woman's work. I understand, by order of decree of the judge, that that can be a man's job as well. And so I, my mom often reminds me of that, uh, that I used to tell her that I didn't want to clean the dishes because that's women's work. I didn't want to vacuum the floor because that was women's work. I, I didn't want to do anything inside the house. I, I told my mom, that was inside the house. That's a woman's place and that's her job. I'll go outside and work with that. I now understand the error of my ways, and I'm very sorry. So to my mother on Mother's Day, uh, thank you for persevering to help me learn the joys of doing dishes, of cleaning the house, and of contributing to the family. So maybe you've got a story like that. You've got some experience like that where you look back and think, you know, I probably did not appreciate my mother like I needed to. I probably did not appreciate her for all that she did, all that she contributed to the family. And really, a good mother is someone who is, in essence, unnoticed in many ways. 
though their presence is seen and though their effects of their ministry are felt, a good mother is someone we just don't even think about that much because things just get done and things just happen and we don't even think about it until she's gone. And then we realize that she did so much for us. She did so many things that we never had any idea about. And so on a day like today, uh, Mother's Day, and thinking through all of the things that mothers do, a message entitled A Mother With No Name seems somewhat appropriate to think about as we'll look at Romans chapter 16, this particular woman who is left nameless for us. But to give us some background and to give us some understanding of the significance of this particular verse in this particular setting, it's important for us to kind of understand what is going on. Almost a, a biblical theology, if you will, of being a mom. Uh, just a quick overview of what mothers are dealt with and talked about in Scripture. <laughs> the word mother appears 299, in 299 verses in the ESV Bible. 299 verses mention the word mother. We are reminded of different moms throughout Scripture. Of course, the first mother being Eve. And all that she had to do and endure and figure out and, and be the first mom, if you will. What a, what a challenge that must have been for her. We are reminded of, as we mentioned, the word influence that so often uh, is what uh, surrounds the concept of a mother, the person that is influential in our life, the person engaging in our life. Sometimes that influence is bad. We remember the influence of Rebecca on Jacob to deceive his father Isaac. But at the same time, we remember the influence of a woman such as Hannah who instilled in her son Samuel the truths about God that were necessary as he was given back to God to serve Eli in the temple. So you can have women that are influential for a negative uh, way. They're influential in a manner that is not conducive to spiritual growth and spiritual life. You can have a woman who is a mother who is influential for good and for what God decides and God desires. Regardless of who you are, though, as a woman, God desires you to be an influence for what is right, an influence to encourage people to live as God would have them to live. But it's interesting, as you come out of the Pentateuch, as you, you enter into the Old Testament historical books, and as you enter into uh, the different uh, the different people that are mentioned throughout the Old Testament, we are confronted with a few particular people, the kings, and many of them are listed for us. Many of the kings are, are listed for us, and along with the kings, it's interesting to note that their moms are mentioned. <laughs> As you look through the book of First and Second Kings, you will often see tied to this particular king is this mother. In fact, we see this in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 26. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. You say, well, that's interesting. I mean, you learn about the king, you learn about his reign, and you learn about his mom. How about 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 1? In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. I was thinking as I was looking at these verses, probably many of you women are thankful you're not named with these names anymore. <laughs> but Second uh, Kings chapter 14, verse 2. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadin of Jerusalem. Second Kings chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 33. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 2. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. So it's interesting to note, as you go through these kings, that many times they are mentioned, their reign is mentioned, what they accomplish is mentioned, and their mother is mentioned. So why is it so important that in the lineage and the, the, the remembrance of the kings, their moms are mentioned, their moms are part of this particular passage of scripture? Well, there's probably a variety of reasons, but... One of them, most likely, is the great influence that their moms had on them. Especially for those that are raised in this royal lineage. Those that are raised in this kind of kingly lineage. The moms, the influence of the moms on their children as they're being raised. And the author of scripture reminds us that yes, this king served and this king reigned and this king was, was great or this king was not so great, but here's his mom tied to him as well, giving her recognition, giving her somebody to remember them. Well, we come through the New Testament, out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we're reminded again of other mothers, we're reminded again of other women who have done some tremendous things. Of course, coming into the New Testament, one of the most famous mothers is Mary the mother of Jesus, who we have a lot that is recorded about all of that process of, of the birth being announced to her, of, of her actually giving birth to Jesus, of, of Luke's record of the fact that she pondered all of the events in her heart. Many times you don't see texts of scripture talking about fathers pondering all these things in their heart, because there's something fundamentally different about a mom. And fun, something fundamentally different about how a mom processes things and how a mom thinks about things and how a mom deals with things. Men are often not that emotionally tied into their children's lives. And so it is the mom who is one of the greatest influences and one of the people that has the greatest influence. And we come out of the Gospels and we come into what is called the Pauline Epistles. Those are the 13 books that the Apostle Paul would have written, letters that he would have written to various people or churches. And when we think about the grand scheme of Christianity, the, the grand scheme of Scripture, from the beginning of time through the time that we now are currently part of, and we know that it will continue, and God has plans for 
for things to continue beyond this particular moment. But when we think about the grand scheme of Scripture, one of the most influential believers was the Apostle Paul. It's hard to deny the influence that Paul had on Christians, on believers. And from centuries past his time, the influence of the Apostle Paul is known and it's seen. And Paul is used by God, pulled out of his Pharisaical Judaism. He is used by God to influence the life of many people. And you you look at this and you say, well, who influenced Paul's life? Who was so instrumental in Paul's life? Well, we know that Paul, after he was saved, after he was converted, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel for a few years. We know that Paul obviously was an apostle, that Paul was used by God, Paul was instructed by by others, Paul was influential in writing scripture. So who influenced Paul's life, really? And our natural response would be to say, well, it must have been his mom. It must have been a, a woman like that, a woman like his mom who had the most influence on him. And it's interesting that as you look at Paul's life and you you see what Paul came out of, we understand and we know historically that Paul was born to a devout Jewish woman who had a Jewish husband. Paul had a, a rather Roman husband. Remember, Paul is excluded from the persecution of the Romans because of his Roman heritage that he has connected into his life. But he also, as Philippians reminds us, has this devout Jewish background, this zealous, pharisaical, Hebrew of the Hebrews background that Paul has. And so Paul is someone that has this wide-ranging, diverse background of both Judaism, strongly influenced in his life, and yet at the same time, he has this connection into the Roman culture. He has this connection into the Roman heritage. And we know that as Paul is saved, he becomes a a force to be reckoned with. He ministers to countless thousands of people. He's instrumental in the beginning of the church and leading three missionary journeys, the number of churches that he planted, and the number of people that he influenced, and all the things that God allowed Paul to do. But here's the interesting thing. We know absolutely nothing about Paul's mom. A man of that great of an influence, a man of of that magnitude to be able to have that kind of influence across all of Christianity and writing scripture and confronting people and starting churches and and doing all these great and wonderful things and the centuries that have followed the Apostle Paul and the number of people that have been influenced by the writings under divine inspiration that he was allowed to be part of. And we know nothing about his mom. He doesn't mention her. He doesn't allude to her. He doesn't really talk about her. There is very, very little about Paul's mom. And I don't know that we need to get into the psychology of it all to say, well, I wonder if there was something going on. I wonder if this was going on. I wonder if that was going on. Where scripture is silent. Maybe it's okay for us to be silent and not to conjecture too much into those things. The fact of the matter is, the Apostle Paul does not mention his mom. And it's not for the fact that the Apostle Paul does not mention women. We know for a fact that at the end of many of the books that he writes, he often mentions the women that were part of his ministry. 
In fact, if we could take just a quick rabbit trail in this whole concept of the hashtag MeToo movement and women's rights movements and making sure women are valued, at his time, Paul was countercultural in how he valued women and how he promoted women and how he encouraged women. It was countercultural for Paul to say, I don't permit a woman to speak, but the implied is they could be part of a service and they could be an active part of the church and, and they could come and participate in, and be part of this assembly. When in this Roman Empire influenced society would have said a woman is nothing more than an object to own, just a little bit higher than a dog or some other animal. Paul was actually counter-cultural in that process. That's why it's sad to see today even some quote-unquote Christians who are pushing the women's movement to a point and actually accusing Paul of being a misogynist. When in reality, Paul was one of the first people culturally to stand up for women. And then in the midst of all this, Paul never talks about his mom. Paul never says, this is who my mom was, and, and this is what she was like, and, and this is how she is. He talks about a lot of other women, but he doesn't talk about his mom. We know that as we look at Philippians chapter 3, we know that Paul grew up in a very uh, Jewish home. He grew up in a very strict religious home. He was, as he said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So Paul's influence of his mother is seen in Philippians 3. Because of her Jewish background, some scholars conjecture that she may have been part of uh, maybe uh, those that were part of the Pharisees or part of uh, some religious leader. She may have been the daughter or some connection into religious leadership in Judaism. That's why she was so strict in teaching Paul these things. But Paul does not mention his mom. But we come to Romans chapter 16, verse 13. And the reason why we mention all of that is to focus our attention into this particular verse because it isn't that Paul doesn't mention the concept of mothers. He doesn't mention his mom. But in verse 13 of Romans chapter 16, he makes an interesting little comment as he's just ending this book, as he's talking about different people, as he's engaging and kind of wrapping things up in the book of Romans, he makes an interesting passing comment. And that comment is found in verse 13 of Romans chapter 16. Greet Rufus. Again, another name you're probably thankful that you do not have. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. Also, greet his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. The only mention that Paul makes about a mom is Rufus's mom. The great apostle Paul, the one who has been influential, the, the one who has done so many different things, the one who has influenced Christians all across this world for centuries beyond his time, he makes one simple passing comment about greeting Rufus and also greeting Rufus's mom who he says has been a mother to me as well. It's interesting that even in verse 13, he doesn't mention this woman's name either. He mentions a lot of other women in the surrounding texts. 
He's mentioning all these other people that are, are ministering and part of the church there at Rome and are part of the community there, but he doesn't mention Rufus's mom by name. A woman who remains obscurely known. A woman who we would say, well, what do we know about Rufus's mom then? What do we know about Rufus? That's kind of where we have to begin to kind of dig into this particular thing. Well, who is Rufus? Because if his mom had such an influence on Paul, then it would help us to kind of understand, well, who is Rufus? Who is Rufus's mom? And how did this woman have such an influence on the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul says here in verse 13 that Rufus is chosen in the Lord. That statement is the fact that it means that he was a choice believer. We would say he's a great guy. He's, man, what a what a great and godly man. Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord. He is, he is somebody that we love. He's somebody that we honor. He's somebody that we cherish. He's a tremendous believer. But what else do we know about Rufus? Well, we don't know much about what made him great. Paul doesn't really talk about that. Paul says, Greek Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord. But Paul doesn't give us a lot of details about why Rufus is seen as somebody who's chosen in the Lord. We know that Paul is not uh, afraid of sharing his opinions about someone. We know that Paul will tell you if he doesn't appreciate someone. So Paul's commending Rufus, but Paul doesn't say why we're to commend Rufus. Paul doesn't go into great depths about who Rufus is and why Rufus is, is such a wonderful person. Well, we're introduced here to this man, and we know that this is in the context of Paul writing the book of Romans, and it was addressed to the church at Rome, those that were part of the assembly there in Rome. Well, what else do we know about Rome? What else do we know about the church at Rome? Well, we know that the book of Mark was written to the church at Rome as well. We know that the book of Matthew was written to the Jews, the book of Luke was written to the Greeks, but we know that the book of Mark is written specifically to the Romans as well, to communicate who Christ is. So you have a little bit of parallel that is going on between the author Mark and the author Paul as they're both communicating to the same group of people. They're, they're both communicating at different times and different scenarios, different purposes, but they're communicating to the same group of people. They would have been addressing the believers in Rome. And it is customary, as you see here from Paul's writings, as you see from Mark's writings as well, whenever there is a specific group of people being addressed, the author would mention specific names because those people would know those people. I mean, we read through Romans 16 and, and we say, well, Greek Rufus, well, that's not a person here today. That was a person then. Paul is writing to that point of time. He's writing to those people and he's saying, greet Rufus, greet all these other people, people who test your ability to articulate names. <laughs> As you look through here, you would say, wow, we're so thankful that we don't have to try to pronounce some of these names on a regular basis. But Paul is listing individual people that he knows and that he's met and that he's interacted with. And Rufus is one of them. And so he is addressing that. We see this in other books as well. For instance, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, we see that Matthew is going to record for us a particular person's name. 
Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, And they went out, and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. That's Christ's cross. We see Luke, Luke as well recording for us the same idea of using people's names. Luke 23, verse 26, And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So, we see from Matthew, we see from Luke, they're accounting for us, this man, Simon, Cyrene, as, as they're recounting the, the crucifixion story of Jesus Christ, they're mentioning this man, Simon, Cyrene. But remember, again, Matthew is written to the Jews, Luke is written to the Greeks, but what about Mark? Mark is written to the Romans, the Romans here in the book of Romans, what does Mark have to say? Well, Mark goes a little bit deeper. Mark chapter 15, verse 21, he says this, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. Very similar language that Luke used. He was coming in from the country, but Mark goes a little bit deeper in talking about who Simon of Cyrene was. The father of Alexander and Rufus. So here is Mark, in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, using the same basic structure as Matthew used and as Luke used to say, Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. Luke says he was coming into the country. Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross. But Mark, writing about the same thing in the Synoptic Gospels, Mark says what? They compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross. Now remember, Mark is writing to the Romans. Mark is communicating to a lot of those people that would have had connections into Rome. And Mark said, they pulled in Simon Cyrene. And it's almost the underlying concept of this verse. Oh, and you guys know who Simon of Cyrene is. Unlike Luke, who is writing to the Greeks, unlike Matthew, who is writing to the Jews, Mark is writing on a personal level to go, well, this is Rufus's and Alexander's death. The language that Mark is using is much more personal. It's much more engaging because his audience is going to go, Oh, we know of Simon of Cyrene, or we've at least heard of Simon of Cyrene. We're aware of who, oh, that's Alexander's death. That's Rufus's death. So now we start to get a little bit of insight as to who Rufus is. Because remember, Paul hasn't mentioned anything about Rufus's mom other than the fact that he said this woman was like a mother to me. So if we want to talk about influence of a mother and influence of a woman, and now we think about the Apostle Paul, who has been one of the greatest influences in Christianity, and the Apostle Paul is mentioning that Rufus's mom was like a mother to him, now we're trying to figure out, well, who is Rufus? And Mark seems to shed a little bit of light into this idea of who is Rufus in Mark 15, 21, when he's talking about, oh, Rufus, that's Simon Cyrene's son. So now the family lineage starts to get a little bit more clear. When we think about this reality of Simon of Cyrene most likely was the husband of the woman who Paul is alluding to was like a mother to him. So if you read Luke and you read Matthew, you're like, oh, this is some random dude that they pulled in off the streets, and he just happened to be there, and they just happened to use him, and well, that was Simon of Cyrene, and we passed right on by him. But when we tie together Mark, who's writing to the Romans, and we tie together Paul, who's writing the book of Romans, and we start to connect some of the dots together, and we sit there and go, wait a second. Simon of Cyrene was actually a significant person. 
Simon of Cyrene was not some random person that happened to be wandering down the street who just happened to be pulled in. It seems to be to us that we can conclude that Simon of Cyrene was actually part of the body at the Church of Rome at some point. That Simon of Cyrene was an influential person on some level. At some point, people knew him. And Mark accounts for that by saying, this is Alexander and Rufus's dad. Oh, now we know who Simon of Cyrene is. Now we understand that Rufus is not just some random, chosen, beloved person, but actually somebody who has not only an interesting lineage, some connection to some important aspect of Christ's ministry, but Rufus is somebody who is notable. And Paul is mentioning this very fact, that that woman who he alludes to as being like a mother to him, is most likely the wife of Simon of Cyrene. Most likely Simon of Cyrene was a very humble, very diligent believer who would have just simply have been in that particular area, used by God, but he wasn't some random person. That there was some connection into the body of Christ. There was some connection into especially the church at Rome. At some point, Simon of Cyrene has a wife, they have children, they are engaged in this body, and Paul and Mark both are alluding to this particular family. So when we examine this whole matter, and we look at this entire process, we say, well, why doesn't Paul mention this lady's name? She's not insignificant. I mean, Paul alludes to this little statement, she was like a mother to me as well. I mean, that statement alone would make you pay attention to say, wow, this woman was like a mother to Paul. This woman was influential to Paul. Most likely what Paul is alluding to is after his conversion, the relationship that he had with Rufus's mom was much like a caring, nurturing, older woman being kind of a guide, being a mentor, being a loving person to him. That this woman had influence. But not only did she have influence over the Apostle Paul, she was someone who was maybe infamous because, wow, her husband seems to be the one that carried the cross. But my guess is that Simon of Cyrene and his wife were probably just average, everyday type of believers. Going about their day, going about their life, serving the Lord, trusting in the Lord, following the Lord, and doing what God wanted them to do. My guess is they were not some sort of entitled elite nobles. My guess is they were just average, everyday people who allowed themselves to be used by God in whatever capacity. If you want me to carry his cross, I'll carry his cross. If you want to me to mentor an apostle, I'll mentor an apostle. I'll provide care, I'll provide love, I'll provide uh, all that is needed, all that I can provide for whoever it is that God allows to come my way. It's likely that Paul and Rufus actually would have had a good relationship, maybe even like brothers. If Paul is addressing Rufus's mother as someone who was a mother to him as well, it is most likely then that Paul and Rufus would have been close friends sharing a spiritual bond, not a physical bond, but a spiritual bond with this woman. 
And yet, in the midst of all these people that are mentioned, Paul still doesn't give us her name. So can you imagine if Rufus's mom were to live in the year 2020, where there is a push for significance, there is a push for notoriety, there is a push for everybody knowing who you are, if you're trying to be famous, if you're trying to be somebody, if you're trying to make a mark for yourself, if you're trying to set yourself apart from the rest of the group of people, so to speak, we live in that kind of society, a society that says we need to know who people are. We want our 15 minutes of fame. We want people to know our name. We want to be known as somebody's significance. And yet in the midst of all these people that are mentioned, Paul just simply passes by, oh, greet his mom, who was like a mother to me as well. And then he moves on. He doesn't mention her name. He doesn't mention anything else about her. We can deduce from other texts of scripture, we can deduce from history, and we can deduce from other things that there was something significant about this woman, about this family, about these people. But the thing that was significant about them was not their desire for notoriety and fame. The thing that was unique about them was that they were willing to just be simple, simple humble servants for however God wanted to use them. And so as we think about Mother's Day, and we think about who you are as a mom, and you think about, does anybody know what I'm going through? Does anybody care what is happening to me on a regular basis? Again, I, I appreciate it. If you haven't taken the time to watch this morning, you can watch it this afternoon. The interview we did with Sherry, just the next little video right down below, talking about the challenges of being a mom. And the challenges and the difficulties of cleaning up kids and changing diapers and cleaning up toys and, and washing hands and fixing bruised knees and doing all the things that you're supposed to do as a mom. And sometimes, just sometimes, you wish somebody would say, hey, thank you, and you're significant, and you're doing a great job, and we recognize you, and this is your name. But sometimes the only person you're known as is Rufus's mom. <laughs> I even Bobby's mom. I even Susie's mom. You're just Rufus's mom. <laughs> Greet her. She was like a mother to me. Thank you, Rufus's mom. And you know what? My guess is that she was not sitting there and offended when the letter of Romans came because her name wasn't mentioned. My guess is that she was willing to say, well, Paul, you didn't even need to mention that. Nobody really got that wow, that was really sweet of you, Paul, to mention that I was like a mother to you. She probably didn't even fully understand the impact that she had on the Apostle Paul. But here's Paul in one nondescript, one non-traditional Mother's Day text, one non-traditional way, just simply passing right on by and saying, greet Rufus, like a brother to me. Oh, and greet his mom. She's like a mom to me as well. The only mention of connection between Paul and a mother is this particular text. And here is Paul addressing a woman with no name. The Bible doesn't record the name for us. She is a mother with no name, but yet a mother who was influential, not only in the life of her own biological children, but in the life of other children that weren't her biological children. She was influential in a way that most of us will never understand. She was influential in a way that maybe you as a wife and a mother and a woman will never fully comprehend. 
And so we want to take some application out of all of this and say, okay, so what? That was an interesting background. That was an interesting story. That was an interesting connection. No, I never really saw that. That's kind of cool. Rufus' mom, son of Simon of Cyrene, Bob Perry Cross. Okay, cool. His mom, greet her as well. She's got a mother to me, so what? What do we do with this information? How do we handle the application of this information? I think the reality is that there may be a mom who is watching this who may say, you know what? I, I'd like to be somebody more than Bobby's mom. I used to have a name. When I got married, somebody proposed to me, and they probably used my name. Somebody used to call me by my name. Somebody used to know me as a woman other than Bobby's mom or Susie's mom. Somebody used to know my identity. Somebody used to know what I was all about. Somebody used to know me for who I was or who I am. Not as the woman who has maybe some hairs out of place and you're running ragged and you're kind of a hot mess because you're chasing the kids all day and now somebody showed up at your house. You would like to think that maybe somebody knows me for who I am other than that. And in this world that seeks for identity and in this world that seeks for recognition, Paul gives to us an example of a woman who has no name. And yet what can be deduced from Rufus's mom is this. She was one of the most influential women this world has ever known, even though no one knows her name. The influence she would have had, the impact she would have had, the mentoring she would have had, the, the, the comfort she would have had for the Apostle Paul that spoke volumes to his life. Why does Paul mention her? There's many women that were involved in Paul's ministry. There were many women that traveled with him. There were many women that were part of the team in all the different cities. And not one of them get this kind of shout-out. Not one of them are mentioned, oh yeah, in, in that city, that woman was like a mother to me. And oh, in that city, that woman was like a mother to me. And oh, in that city, that woman was like a mother to me. Paul reserves this specific comment for Rufus's mom. So what lessons can we pull out of this? What lessons does God desire for us? Well, God desires us to see a few things, and all of these come from simple proverbs, which are truths that Scripture records for us. But here are five simple truths for you. As a mom, who maybe nobody knows you, as Sarah, or Kelly, or whatever your name actually is. They only know you as that woman with those children. They only know you as the hot mess. They only know you as somebody who they see in the light of children, or in light of being a mother, or in light of not having it quote all together. Here's what scripture would like you to remember. A mom with no name is a diligent woman. Proverbs 1 verse 8. Hear my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. No one may ever know your name. No one may ever remember that your name is Kelly, or that your name is Sarah, or that your name is whatever it is, but they can remember the influence of your teaching on your children. The significant impact that you can make by instructing your children, not only in the physical sitting down, opening the Bible, teaching them things about the Bible, not only in teaching them life skills, not only in teaching them how to do things, but the way you live, 
and how you handle situations and how you deal with life. You're instructing your children. And as Proverbs 1.8 reminds us, forsake not your mother's teachings. Second of all, a mom with no name is a joyful woman. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. If you've ever talked to parents about their children, maybe their children aren't where they would want them to be. How a mother speaks about her children, usually grown children out of the house, who maybe aren't where she would want them to be, is often different than how the man speaks about his children. There is a deep, intimate connection that mothers naturally have with their children. And here the Proverbs reminds us of why the son makes it a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. The anguish, the hurt, the the all of the emotions that a mother can go through with a with a child who maybe isn't living for God the way that mother would desire. A diligent mother is a mom with no name. A mom with no name can be a joyful mother, a joyful woman as well, as the instructions are taught to their children and they see their children growing and living as God desires them to live. It's important to remind us as well that your children are also independent individuals. And a mother must be very careful. Again, fathers typically can isolate themselves emotionally from those things that their children are going through. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's difficult. But there does not seem to be that same emotional reaction for a father as there is for a mother. And for moms, it's important to remember your children are their own individuals that are making their own decisions that may not be what you want them to be. They may not be living the way you desire them to live. They may not be living the way God wants them to live. And moms need to be careful not to take upon themselves things and guilt and burdens that don't belong to them. A joyful woman, a mother with no name to be a joyful woman knowing I taught my children the way God intended me to teach them. There's no guarantee that your children are all going to grow up and serve the Lord. There's no guarantee that your children are all going to be following the Lord the way you want them to, to follow the Lord. And so women especially need to be careful not to bring on themselves guilt and discouragement from the choices that their adult children are making. Because those adult children are their own individuals as well. Thirdly, a mom with no name is a respected woman. Proverbs 15, verse 20, a wife is a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. The wisdom of a child to pay the love to, pay to his mother. If you, again, look at most sporting athletes, most of the people that are involved in athletics on a professional level, most of them come from single-parent homes raised by a mom. And many of them are often willing to pay respect back to their mom because of the influence that they had on their lives. As Proverbs reminds us here, a foolish man despises his mom. A joyful, respected woman is a woman that may not have any name. Fourthly, a mom with no name is a remembered woman. Proverbs 3, verse 22, listen. 
submissive to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Remember your mother. Some of you today are only going to be able to remember the memory of a mom. And that for you is a sad thing, that you can't pick up the phone this afternoon and make a phone call to your mom to tell her that you love her and to tell her how much she impacted your life. But you can remember her, and you can thank God for her, and you can be encouraged in the fact that God allowed her to have influence in your life, that God allowed her to be able to help you and to encourage you. A mom with no name, much like Rufus's mom, is a remembered mom. And then finally, a mom with no name is a blessed woman. Proverbs 31, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. One of the greatest joys a mother can receive is to have her children, as Proverbs 31 says, rise up and call her blessed. You may have a difficult relationship with your mom. You may have a challenging past with your mom. You may have a mom who has difficulty with your children right now. The challenge of being a mother, the challenge of being a woman who maybe no one else knows you beyond just being Bobby's mom. And right now, being Bobby's mom is not the greatest job in the world because you and Bobby are not seeing eye to eye. You and Bobby are not getting along. One of the greatest joys that you can experience is to have your children rise up and call you blessed. So here's the deal. For those of you that are children that are being raised currently by the greatest thing you can do today is to give your mom a hug and tell her you love her. So you may not understand everything she does, you may not understand everything she's going through, you may not understand everything that's going on in her life. But as I've witnessed in my own family, a mother can be on the edge of quote unquote losing it, and in about five seconds have her entire world altered for the good by a difficult child calmly, quietly, giving her a hug, say, Mom, I love you. Dads, on the other hand, we're not always as quick to flip that switch. But mothers love to know that their children are going to rise up and call them blessed, to give them honor, to give them some sort of praise, some sort of recognition, some sort of, Mom, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. You may have had a difficult relationship with your mom, and your relationship even today may be difficult. But the fact of the matter is this, your mom has influenced you. God has sovereignly allowed you to have the mother you have. And in spite of all her imperfections, which are probably many, you need to understand that God has sovereignly used her to help shape your life and to help you to be the person you need to be. And in the midst of a difficult relationship, nothing could be more of a blessing to your mom than for you to say, you know what? Mom, we may not have had the best of relationship in this world, but I want you to know I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and I appreciate you. And no one may ever know your first name, Mom. You may always be my name's mother, but I want you to know that I love you, and I care for you. The greatest joy that can come for a mom is yes, to see her children walking with the Lord, is yes, to have a great relationship with them, yes, to have all these things that Proverbs alludes to, of having the joy of raising children, but is to have a child 
who genuinely can call his mom or put his arm around his mom and say, I love you. And I know I wasn't perfect. And I want to thank you for all that you did to help raise me to be who I am today. Mothers have a difficult job. Dads, our job is challenging and we need to step up and we need to do what God has called us to do. But fathers, for us as well, husbands, it's important for us to remember, let's be mindful of the task that God has called mothers to do. Let's not degrade them, let's not minimize them, let's not put them down, let's not be distant. Let's not be an absent father who is present in the home. But let's be active, let's be supportive, let's be encouraging, let's be proactive to say, hey, hon, how can I help you today? And maybe, just maybe, we'll have more maturity as husbands than I had as a child to maybe not think of anything inside the house as quote-unquote woman's work. And maybe say, you know what, we're a team, and let's partner together. How can I help you? Can I do the dishes while you take a break? Can I clean the house while you take a nap? Can I do something for you to help you be the mom that God wants you to be? May dads and husbands be just as mindful of their wives as they are of their own mothers. And may today you be a mom who maybe somebody doesn't know your name, but you're okay with that. Because you know that by God's grace, you are doing what God has called you to do which is to faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ to those people God has allowed you to influence. And may today you be encouraged that even Rufus's mom, no one knew her name, and yet the amazing impact she had on Rufus and on the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us and encourage us this morning. <coughs> That no matter what situation we're going through, no matter how difficult we may find our lives at this moment, the stresses, the strains, the challenges, the frustrations, that not only first and foremost would we find our identity in you, that we would find our sufficiency in you, and that you would give us grace for those that are moms to be the moms that you want them to be. Father, for those that are struggling today with infertility, those that are struggling today after dealing with miscarriage, those that are struggling today to understand why certain things may be happening, may you give them grace as well and help them to find their identity and their sufficiency in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.